right? Well, if you've brought your Bibles, and I really hope you have, turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. As we're working through the book of Luke together, starting a new year, I hope you come on Sunday mornings with your Bible in hand. It's going to help you to see that what I'm saying each Sunday isn't, I hope, fundamentally from me, but rather is explaining what God's Word says to us and to His church. So bringing your Bible along will help you to learn it for yourself. You'll not just see it passing by on a screen above, but you'll be able to study with us and hopefully be able to drink it in in a more firm way. So turn to, with me to Luke 2, 21. And as you turn there, let me reflect. See, I don't know about you, but I love going to the movies. I enjoy the movie theater the event, the time with friends. I love a giant tub of buttery popcorn. I like the big screen and the sound system. I like watching a good story. And if I go with a friend in the movies, I especially like getting there in time to see the previews. Previews are a chance for an extra film in just three minutes. You basically get to see the whole story. And if you get there early enough, you get three mini-movies before the full-length movie, all for the price of one. Go for the previews. As one person commented, previews give you the authority then to then become immediately a movie critic. You have to watch for three minutes and, and lean back and evaluate that movie in the 10 seconds before the next preview comes on with your friend, saying whether you'd watch it or not, right? But the, the movie preview builds the expectation for the film that will be later released. Gives a taste for what's coming. You're left reflecting on some of the key ideas and some of the key themes which will unfold in the film when it comes out. Well, today's passage from Luke functions a bit like a preview, building expectation for Jesus' coming public ministry. Today's passage surveys all of Christ's childhood. That's right, we're going to do all those years in the next three hours. I'm joking. Next half an hour. We're going to hear Christ's first recorded words, which he spoke. We're going to get taste for some of the key themes that are coming up in his ministry. And even in this preview, we're going to, even today, celebrate Jesus Christ, who is set apart for us. So to begin, follow along as I read the opening three verses of our passage. Look with me at verses 21 through 24 of Luke 2. We read there, At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. All right, so I'll, I'll have three points today in my sermon, and here's the first. Celebrate Jesus Christ, who is set apart for us as, number one, the fulfillment of the law. Luke's history of the life of Christ continues here with Jesus as an infant. Mary and Joseph begin by circumcising him. They give him the name 
Jesus that the angel had told them to give back in chapter 1, verse 31. And then they traveled from that little town of Bethlehem outside of Jerusalem up to Jerusalem, where the temple was, to present Jesus to the Lord. And notice in the section that I read how this emphasizes their faith and obedience, the, the obedience of Jesus' parents. It shows us, Luke takes the time to show us, several different ceremonies that these parents walked through according to the law of Moses. So Jesus is circumcised, fulfilling Leviticus 12, 3. Then they complete a purification, fulfilling Leviticus 12, 6. Then they offer him to the Lord as a firstborn, reflecting Exodus 13, 2. And it might even be that they're then dedicating him to the Lord, a reflection of Numbers 18. But importantly, Mary and Joseph are faithfully keeping the law of Moses with Jesus. Notice how five times in the text, Luke points out that what they're doing is according to the law of Moses. Verse 22, verse 23, verse 24, then later in verse 27 and verse 39. This is an emphasis that Luke seems to want us to see. But why would that be here? Why would Luke, who is going to spend very little bit of time relatively, speaking about Jesus' childhood years, take the time to emphasize these details? Do you know what, know what I think? It seems that Luke might be wanting to show Theophilus, do you remember the recipient of this letter, what he understood as Paul's point. Paul was Luke's traveling companion when Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 4, verse 4. And he said that Jesus Christ was sent forth by God, born of a woman, and born under the law so that he can redeem us. You see, Luke is showing that Jesus was born under the law and that he kept the law, the good law of God, from day one in the life of Jesus, was kept by Christ. Now, if you're here today, and you're thinking this feels distant, let me just tell you that if you're here and you've ever sinned, then you need this. For, for all those who are here who, who haven't sinned, you can just tune me out right now. Say, just don't pay attention. But for if, if you're like me, and you have wronged God by not following what he has decreed and told us to do, we need to understand this. You see, you don't just need a Savior who died for you. You need a Savior who was perfect and then died for you. Many people can die for you, friends. Your spouse or someone else around you could give their life for you. I would gladly give my life for you. But before God, my record is not what you want on your account. All you have to do is ask my wife. Or all you have to do is ask anyone close to me. They'll all tell you, no, 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 you don't want Jeff's record on your account. You see, I have not kept God's law. Before God, in God's account of me, I have my own debt of sin, which I must pay for. Only one person 
has ever perfectly fulfilled God's law. And that person is Jesus Christ. He is the representative man who is perfect on our behalf. This is what makes him fitting to go to the cross on our behalf, is the fact that he was always and ever perfect. He only ever followed God's perfect law. He never stepped to the right or to the left of it. And here in this text, we see him doing that. We see him fulfilling the old covenant law so that he now has the right to establish a new covenant law. Jesus Christ always did all that the law required from him. And Luke takes the time to show us that he was born under the law so that he might redeem us. All right, so just one practical application from this. How should you read your Old Testament? Many of you will be starting a new Bible reading plan today. It's January 1st. By the way, if you're not reading your Bible regularly, in the back, you can get one of these. This is a Bible reading plan that takes you through the whole Bible in a year. And you just have to read, you have five days of reading, and then you get two off so that you can read whatever the preacher is going to be preaching on that Sunday. It's a great plan. Grab one of these on the way out. Maybe even grab one with a friend and agree to do it together so you can be held accountable. Anyway, let's just say that you're going to be spending months reading through the Bible this year. You're going to read through the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and the laws. And as you read about the law of God, and as you read about what Paul calls this, this schoolmaster for us, which is meant to teach us about God's character, you can worship God in your reading because every law that you read, every command, every ceremonial instruction was perfectly fulfilled and followed in Jesus Christ. Read Leviticus with Luke 2 in the back of your mind, thinking Christ accomplished this for me. Celebrate Christ who was set apart as the fulfillment of the law. Well, let's keep moving. Arriving at the temple, the baby Jesus and his parents are greeted next by two godly characters. Follow along with me as I read verses 25 through 39. We read there, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came, to the spirit, and he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and mo his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to, his to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. 
And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and thanks to God, and to speak of him, to, sorry, with, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, pardon me. And coming at very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. All right. Celebrate Jesus Christ, who is set apart for us. Point number two, the hope of his people. He is set apart as the hope of his people. Luke now introduces us to two characters, Simeon and Anna. Both of these are devout God-fearers. Both are prophets. Uh, Anna is called a prophetess. Simeon prophesies. And both meet Jesus at the temple, and they celebrate him. Both of them are elderly, having waited for the Messiah for some time. And we're not told Simeon's age, but, mere, but merely that he was nearing death. Apparently he's getting older. For Anna, we're told that she was advanced in years, at least 84. So picture in your mind's eye these two godly older saints. Simeon is given a promise in verse 26 that he will see the Lord's Christ. Then in verse 27, the, the Spirit seems to lead him into the temple, and he sees the child, the one that he's been waiting for, he blesses God, and he rejoices. He does what Mary and Zechariah and the angels have been doing in these narratives. He breaks out into song, rejoicing, singing for joy. And he does it seemingly as his final act in the play before being released to go meet his maker. Look at Simeon's rejoicing in his song. He understands that he is being released to leave because he has seen Jesus. He speaks almost as if he's caught a glimpse of this morning sunrise, the light coming up, the glory over the hill. Jesus is the light of revelation. Jesus is the glory for his people that he speaks of. And Simeon not only gets to see that, but he sees how far this sunrise will shine, that it will go to the whole world, even to the Gentiles, in verse 32. And so Simeon's wait is over. Jesus has come. Listen to how one author writes about this. He illustrates Simeon's story, saying this. He says, these verses seem to tell the story of a slave who is instructed by his master to keep watch through the long, dark night on a high place, to wait for the rising of a special star and then announce it. After wearisome hours of waiting, he at last sees the star rising in all its brightness. He announces it and then is discharged from keeping watch any longer. 
This is Simeon's glorious job. This is his post being completed as he sees this rising star, the star of Jesus Christ. He has waited, and now he sees salvation, the light, the glory that God has been preparing. Then, as a prophet, in verse 34, we read that Simeon turns and he blesses Jesus' mother. And he speaks prophetically warning her of Jesus' significance and of how many will rise and fall on account of Christ and how the thoughts of many will be revealed and how her heart, too, will suffer because of her son. What a preview this is. What, it's like scenes that are briefly flashing by of a, of a coming story that's about to unfold for us. I think of Mary standing at the foot of the cross, suffering. And Simeon says, a sword will pierce your heart. Or he says, the thoughts of many will be revealed. And we think of when in Luke 5, Jesus revealed the thoughts of the Pharisees when they were contemplating if a man can actually forgive sin. Or he speaks of many rising and falling on account of Jesus. And we can remember how Jesus took just a a few handful of, of fishermen and made them the leaders of the coming church that he was building, or how he went to the religious leaders, those who were the who's who of the day, and showed that before God that they were nothing in their own righteousness. Simeon is looking forward as a prophet, and he is seeing this unfolding before his eyes. His long wait for this Christ has culminated in this, this glorious preview of what God is doing in the person of Jesus Christ. And Anna, too, was waiting. Notice that. She had given herself to fasting and prayer night and day. We don't get to read her prayer, but when she arrived and saw Christ, she just burst out into thanks. She spoke of Christ to all who were waiting there for the same thing, for the redemption of Jerusalem. Friends, their hope had arrived. wonder if you can think of or relate to what it feels like to wait in anticipation for something. Perhaps think of a, of a groom waiting at the end of the aisle for, for his bride to turn the corner and walk down the aisle. Or perhaps think of a, a military spouse of a deployed soldier waiting for their, their spouse to come return home. Or, or I thought of the anticipation that I feel when I stand at the arrival section of the airport waiting to see a loved one walk through the door. You, don't, you know that the person is coming, but you can't do anything. You're just sitting there waiting, saying, is this it? Is this it? Are they coming through now? Passengers coming out from other flights, and each one you're looking over to see if this is the person you've been waiting for. You're waiting and looking. This is somewhat of what these two prophets must have felt. Friends, remember, this comes following the intertestamental period. In their lives, they had just walked through with the people of God, not just decades, but centuries of years of waiting to hear from God again. They were, they were holding on to promises, and they were left waiting and looking for this Christ. Can you imagine? Just imagine the length of time, 400 years since the last pro- prophetic book that we have in this scripture. I, I imagine that it would be easy For them to begin to doubt. To wonder if this Messiah would actually come. 
Were they believing something that was true? Or is this, this just a myth after all? And yet, they waited with anticipation, with faith, with prayer and fasting. And so when the Spirit comes and shows them that this is the one, they could rejoice. Finally, God had come. Let me just give briefly two points of application for our church in this today. One specific and one general. So specifically, to the older members here at First Baptist Church of Boynton Beach, I'm going to talk to you now. Meditate today on these elderly examples that Scripture lifts up for us to look at. Maybe even do a character study of them this week. Just write down every descriptor that you see of Simeon and Anna and how they walked in these sunset years of their lives. Notice they did not waste their time. They used this season of their lives to model what it meant to be devout in devotion. They gave themselves to prayer and fasting, to seeking Jesus. They committed themselves to the temple, to being around the people of God. And so let me say to you, older members, do not underestimate the power of your life modeled for others. Don't waste these years. Our church needs examples like Simeon and Anna in our midst. And younger members, let me just encourage you, pursue time with those older members. Take them out to lunch this afternoon. Don't just pursue relationships with those of your own age, but pursue those that you can learn from as they've been walking with the Lord, pursuing Christ and waiting for his return. You know, as I even talk about this, I think of Miss Viola Thomas. I grew up in a family of six kids. My mom was a busy mom. And early on in my childhood, Miss Viola would come to our home every Thursday morning from 9 a.m. to noon. And she would sit in the corner of our kitchen with an ironing board and she would iron my father's dress shirts as my mom took care of the kids. Now, I know that what Miss Vi was doing was very helpful to my family. It served us. But I also know that by her coming, we got to glimpse a godly saint in our midst, just talking with my mother about the things of life and the things of the Lord. And I got to have an older woman in my life who I could look up to who loved the Lord, and who had a simple, faithful walk with him. Friends, we need Annas and Simeons in our church. Well, second broader application to these examples. Friends, Jesus Christ is the hope of his people, not just for his first coming, but for his second also. Do you wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus Christ? Do you wait like Simeon and Anna, eagerly expecting that any day he could walk through the door, he could return? Or have you forgotten that he's actually coming back? Anna and Simeon represent the people of God. And those, the people of God waited, as I said, not just decades, they waited centuries for the Messiah to come. And now we, as a church, find ourselves waiting centuries as well. We might be tempted to think that Jesus is slow to come. We might be tempted to wonder if he actually will return. 
as Julian read earlier from 2 Peter 3, we read that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Friends, this story should give you hope. Our waiting is not new. Christianity is a waiting faith. We've done it before, and Jesus came through. And so we can do it again. Jesus Christ is coming back. So we'll sing this just a few minutes when we conclude to each other. This is what you're about to say to each other. You're going to say, And Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight. The clouds will be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Celebrate Jesus, who is set apart as the hope of his people. Well, finally, look at the conclusion of this chapter with me. Here it is, we see who it is that we're waiting for. Let me just read through the narrative, the rest of the verses, 40 through 52. We read there, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not answer, understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Celebrate Jesus, who is set apart, number three, as the true Son of God. He is the true Son of God. Luke tells us in verse 40 that Jesus continued to grow with normal human development and with wisdom and favor. And he tells us that as this family did annually, at the age of 12, Jesus' family traveled again to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, importantly, traditionally for a Jewish boy, he would transition from moral and spiritual childhood to adulthood around this age. It's what was understood culturally. Leading up to what is today known as the bar mitzvah at age 13, a 12-year-old would be learning from his father about, the role as, about his role as a Jewish man. But notice how this unfolds in Jesus' life. What we see is that when Jesus comes to this cultural landmark, he instead chooses to teach his father 
and his parents and us about his true nature. His family goes for the Passover, and afterwards, when the, the family is returning home, they realize that Jesus was separated from them. They search for him and then return back to Jerusalem and finally find him after three days. Now, being separated in a caravan like this probably would not have been unusual. It might have been a normal thing in that culture. But being separated for several days at a time clearly was becoming an issue. Joseph and Mary found him, verse 46, sitting in the temple, listening and dialoguing with the teachers. Interestingly, in verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his answers. What a preview of the ministry to come. Back in verse 40, by the way, we had read that he was filled with wisdom, and now we see it here. Jesus is, as 1 Corinthians says, Christ is the wisdom of God. His wisdom embodied. Now, ironically, this profound wisdom seems to be lost on his own parents. Sure, they were astonished, verse 48, but rather than this astonishment leading to worship, it leads to a rebuke. Listen to what Mary says in verse 48. Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Now, on the one hand, it's somewhat hard to blame Mary at this point. For any parents here, if you've ever lost sight of your child in a public space, and you can remember the sheer horror you feel in that moment, we are tempted to uh, agree and, and, and have compassion on Mary. Surely she was in great distress. Just imagine how she felt after three days. But she says, why has he done this to her? Why should he sit there and act like nothing is wrong? Now, just pause here. I wonder if you had never heard this story, what you would think Jesus would say in response. I think I would have expected a different response. I think I might have expected a, a compassionate explanation from Jesus. I might have expected him to, to calm her down, to, to reassure her. It's okay, Mom. I made it here. You found me. But in, instead, Jesus, without being sinfully harsh, just very clearly reminds Mary of what she actually already knew. He reminds her of his real identity. Verse 49, he said to them, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Literally, that I must be about my father's business. You see, it, it seems like Mary is essentially saying, you have not done what's expected of you in this moment. And Jesus seems to reply with, you have not expected rightly. Mary is saying, why have you done this? Why sit here and act like nothing's wrong? Jesus replies, where else would you expect me to sit? And Mary says, your father... And I have been looking for you. How fascinating that she throws in your father. And Jesus replies, oh no, my father is here. You see, Jesus is teaching Mary and us that he has a heavenly sonship which transcends his, his earthly sonship. 
Jesus is showing this, this higher allegiance to his heavenly father than any other earthly father. He's making it clear. In his very first recorded words in this entire narrative, Jesus is identifying himself with God as the son of God. This is the first thing out of Jesus' lips in this narrative of Luke, is to identify himself with God and to claim deity. By the way, if you're here today and you're still perhaps considering Christianity from the outside, then you should be at least honest with what Jesus claims about himself. Here, we have in no uncertain terms that Jesus clearly claims to be divine. You have to admit, whatever you're going to do with the historical person of Jesus, you have to admit that he at least saw himself as God. Well, the Bible teaches that Jesus came as the Son of God because of our sin. It teaches that, us, that our sin deserves death, and that Jesus Christ, as the perfect Son of God, the, the Son who obeyed the law perfectly, bore our punishment on the cross. So that anyone who would look to him in faith, who would trust in him, will not just have freedom from sin, but also eternal life. And that eternal life is that we, too, become sons of God. That's right. This is profound. Christians, get this. Because of Jesus' sonship, you, too, become a son of God. Galatians says this. It says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Christ's sonship is the foundation of our sonship. It is in Christ Jesus. That is, as we are spiritually united with him, in union with Christ, that we too become sons of God. Augustine said it so well. He said, the son of God was made the son of man so that the sons of men made sons of God. Friends, today we look to this Jesus Christ and worship him as God. What you must know about him, what you must hear, is that he is eternally the son of God. Look to him. Only he is able to redeem us. As the ancient creed said, he is perfect in godhood and perfect in manhood. He is truly God and truly man. He is begotten before all ages of the Father. We celebrate Jesus Christ, who is set apart for us as the Son of God. Praise his name. We should conclude. Interestingly, in verse 50, it seems that Mary and Joseph didn't understand what Jesus was saying to them. But Jesus still went with them. As an obedient child, he continued to submit to them. Luke is careful to point that out. He continued to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Despite his heavenly allegiance, which he boldly proclaims, he's still faithful as an earthly son. And, like a good preview, Luke concludes these narratives of Christ's infancy, leading the, leaving the reader, leaving us, in Mary's shoes. Notice again, just like last week, we just saw this. Despite yet not yet having complete understanding, Mary is treasuring up these things in her heart. Just like last week, she's, she's holding on to them. 
She's thinking them through. It's as if the scene closes in the film with, with Mary just reflecting on all that just happened and foreshadowing what is to come. So as we continue this year in the book of Luke, come and drink deeply from God's word with me as we celebrate Jesus Christ, who is set apart for us. Pray with me now. Almighty God, we thank you for the person and work of Jesus Christ. We so desperately need him. We praise you for Christ. We celebrate him. We praise you for his perfect work, perfectly fulfilling the law for us on our behalf. Perfectly coming as the Son of God in human flesh for us. Father, he is worth waiting for. We worship Jesus Christ because in him we can say it is well with our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.